Amen, indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for giving us voices to worship you with today. And Lord, I pray that the words of the songs we have sung will ring true in our lives. We put our hope in you, our trust in you, our lives will be built on you, Lord God. And as we open your word together now this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, your living word. Teach us, instruct us, and show us what you have for us today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to be with you this morning and to open the word of God with you. We had a great day yesterday, Biblical Hope Seminar. I know a number of you were there and we're blessed. Bob and Ruth froze, they're right there. Give a wave. I want to say hi to Bob and Ruth. <laughs> had a great day with you guys yesterday. Thank you so much for being with us. It was wonderful. And now we carry on. In fact, if you were at the seminar yesterday, you will f- might feel like today's sermon is a continuation of what you heard yesterday, because that's the way God works. He has his hand on these things from the very beginning. As we get started today, I want to ask you what you think of when I say the word obey. Obey. Is that a Is that a nice word, or do you kind of go, whoa, hold on a sec? I think we tend to resist that word, don't we? I think we tend to, our natural instinct is, well, hold on, just a minute, let me, let me analyze whether I really want to obey that or not, because I'm not sure if it's good for me. Obedience is not something that comes naturally. I think our natural resistance is to our, our natural instinct, sorry, is to resist obedience. How many of you have children? How many had to teach them to disobey? None. It's easy to disobey. In fact, it's natural. But how do we obey? I remember when I was younger, I grew up on the mission field, as many of you know, and I went to a little missionary kids' school. And I did okay in school. We had report cards in school. You had report cards, right? And, I'm, and my grades were always okay, but I remember one time in about grade seven or eight, I opened up my report card. And you know how, I mean, the grades are one thing, but then there was always those little spots, you know, I said, works well with others. You know, concentrates, does his homework, all, you know, those little, those character things. It wasn't about how smart you were, it was about your character. And you'd either get a, you know, an E for excellent or an S for satisfactory or an N for needs improvement. You didn't want any, you wanted all E's. And I remember once I opened up that report card and, and it said, respects authority, N. I was like, oh boy, I am in trouble now. When my parents see this, because they didn't really, weren't too worried about what grades I got, but disrespecting authority, now you gotta remember that was, you can tell by my hair, it was a few years ago. Disrespecting authority was a big deal. 
I didn't, I, I remember being kind of surprised when I saw that because I thought I didn't really disrespect authority. I just thought I knew better than they did. <laughs> but that's the way we are, isn't it? Our human nature tends to think, I got this. What? Why are you imposing your stuff on me? I spent a lot of time when I was a child swimming. I loved to swim. Go to the pool whenever we had a chance to. And you know what it's like when you go to the swimming pool? You've all been to a swimming pool? There's always a big board. It's on the fence or on the wall. It says, pool rules. There's always rules at the pool. Now, as a young child, I figured that was, well, it's a bit of a challenge, actually. Because we, I think we were there to figure out how many of those rules we could break without getting kicked out of the pool. So, so we kind of took that, those list of rules as a challenge, a personal challenge, because really those rules were there to ruin our fun, right? No running on the deck. Seriously? Everyone knows that running is more fun than walking, especially for a six-year-old. Only one person on the diving board at a time? I mean, a diving board is essentially a gangplank. It's, it's like a pirate ship with, the, you know, the plank that goes out. How are you supposed to push each other off the plank if you can only have one person on the diving board at a time? But God has a sense of humor because he changed my mind about pool rules when I was a teenager because he made me a lifeguard. So now I had all these pool rules that I had to now enforce when I spent most of my life trying to figure out how to break them and get away with them. Now you might think that, well, it was your job, you know, of course you had to enforce the rules, but no, it was more than that. See, I actually changed my mind about the rules through my training as a, you know, it takes a lot of training to become a lifeguard, you know, they don't let you just sit up in that fancy chair for no reason. But through all that training, I learned there's a reason for those rules. They're not just there to make you have no fun. They're there to keep you safe. We don't want to have to call an ambulance. We don't want to have to call your parents and tell them that we had to call an ambulance. The rules were there for a reason. And I changed my mind about those rules as I got older. And I learned to enforce them because I knew they were there for my protection or for their protection. And that happens, doesn't it? When we think about obedience... Our, our attitude towards obedience changes over time depending on our circumstances. Which brings up the question, why do we obey? Just in general. You know, what, what reasons do we have to obey? Or a better question would be, because our natural inclination is disobedience, what is it that causes us to turn, to change our mind from disobedience to obedience? Well, maybe it's fear. Maybe we're afraid of getting caught. Maybe we're afraid of that speeding ticket. Or we're afraid of the consequences of disobedience. Maybe it's reward. You ever rewarded your kids for doing something good? I mean, it's otherwise known as bribery. But, you mean, clean your room? We get to go to the park later. Right? It's, you know, obedience sometimes brings reward. What about respect and love? Sometimes we obey just because we have a lot of respect for someone. They said it, I'm going to do it because I, I respect that person or I love that person. Or maybe it's obligation. You got a job, you got a boss, you signed a contract, 
You got to do your job. You got to obey. Or maybe it's just pure loyalty. Loyalty is a good thing and it instills obedience in us. Lots of reasons why we obey. The, the last one you see up there on the screen is nature. That may seem like an odd one, but if you think about it, there are some people in this world, they, they can't help themselves. They're rule followers. They used to drive me nuts as a kid. There's always that one kid in class who had to obey every single rule. So I, I think some people just natu- have a, that their nature is just to obey, but I think it can also be learned. Think about people who are in the military. Right? Obedience is a big deal in the military. In fact, they're taught from day one to obey a command. Because without it, they're, they're in trouble. There, there can be no wavering. And I think for those that spend a lot of time in the military, it becomes second nature. It becomes automatic. You get a command, you obey. You don't even think about it. The reason you obey various things probably depends on your situation, your circumstances, your age maybe. But what about when we think about the things of God and obedience? I mean, obedience is a big deal for God, right? I think we know that. Whether you've been in church for a long time or this is your first day, you probably know that religion and God, there's, there's this thing called obedience. You know, the, You've got to obey those Ten Commandments, and, and we've got all the rules, and the do's and the don'ts, and if you're going to be a good Christian, here's what you do and here's what you don't. Obedience. So I guess my question for you today is, not just what does it take to obey, what does it take for you to obey God? What does it take to change your mind and move you from disobedience of God to obedience? Well, let's look at what the Word of God says about this because my opinion doesn't really matter. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. We're going through to the end of the chapter, verse 32. As you're turning there in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, just a little reminder. You've probably studied the book of Ephesians before. You know this book was written, or this letter was written by Paul to a bunch of churches. It was a circular letter. Gets its name because it was probably read first in Ephesus. But it wasn't written to a specific church with a specific problem. It was a general letter about how Christians, how churches, how the body of Christ should be living and should be behaving. So it's a very easy book for us to apply to ourselves because, hey, we're a church. And this letter was written to churches and to believers. So let's look at what it says today. Starting in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. These first three verses are, they speak to what causes disobedience. What is the cause of disobedience? It's a description of how Christians are no longer to live. In fact, Paul says, I insist on it. No longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, just a sec, before you get worked up about that, we want to be politically correct. He's not talking about the Gentiles in terms of 
their ethnicity. That would be a generalization and it would apply to pretty much every one of us in this room today because we're probably all Gentile because we're not Jews. That's not what he's talking about here. The term Gentile was often used by Paul and others in that day to describe the unsaved, to describe the pagan, to describe the ungodly or the unregenerate. So it was a, okay, if it was today, you probably couldn't do that because someone would say that's not politically correct. You can't paint all people with the same brush by using that name. But that's how they, that was okay back then. And Paul uses that term to refer to unsaved people. Because back then you were either a Jew or a Gentile or a Christian. And he's saying Christians should no longer live as the unsaved lived. He goes on to describe that type of living and what they should avoid. They're futile in their thinking. Futile thinking. Empty, vain, without any meaning. Their rational process was distorted and inadequate. They couldn't they, they just couldn't make sense of anything. They didn't know how to think about stuff. Now in verse 18, there's a, there's a whole list of things, and we're going to actually work backwards through it because each one, each one depends on the one coming after it. So follow me on this. If you look at verse 18, the last thing that's mentioned there is that they, were, they had hardened their hearts. That's where it began. It began because those that didn't know God had hardened their hearts towards God. They, they were not, they were, they were resisting the instruction of God. And so their hearts had grown hard to the things of God. Now if you work your way backwards, you see that that hard-heartedness leads to a lack of understanding, which is ignorance. So because they had sealed off their heart to the things of God, now they don't know the things of God. So now they become ignorant because of their lack of understanding. And because of their ignorance, their de deliberate, willful ignorance, now they are separated from the life of God. See how it works? Hard heart leads to ignorance, leads to a separation from God, and ends up in a darkened understanding. That's where he started. They are darkened in their understanding. It's impossible to see in the dark. You ever, you ever notice that? Close your eyes. I know, you don't want to do it because you're afraid I'm going to do something funny. Well, no, I promise. Don't nobody move. Just everybody close your eyes. All right, now just imagine, if you had to, right now, with your eyes closed, every one of us, if we all had to leave this room right now, with your eyes closed, total darkness, what would happen? It would be mass chaos. How are you going to open your eyes again? You'd... We'd be bumping into each other. We'd be tripping over each other. Some people would probably get trampled. We wouldn't know where the exits were. You can't function in the dark. When it says they were darkened in their understanding, it means they were blind. They had no sense of direction. And that leads to the final thing, this loss of moral sensitivity. See what it says there? having lost all sensitivity. They can't tell right from wrong anymore. There's, there's no way of knowing. They're in the dark with hard hearts and they're ignorant 
and futile thinking, of course they can't tell right from wrong anymore. This is, this is the downward spiral that takes people farther and farther away from God. Because there's no way to move up in this progression. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And so what do they do? Well, it says, because of their lack of sensitivity, because they lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality. Looking for something, just anything to meet their needs. To meet them where they are as they, in this downward spiral of darkness and ignorance and separation from God, the only thing they can do is reach out to sensuality. And it says they indulge in every kind of impurity. There was nothing else. Nothing else for them. They couldn't see. They couldn't tell right from wrong anymore. So they're in this downward spiral. And notice it mentions greed. Now your translation might say with a constant lust for more. That's because when you, when you, when you reach out to sensuality and, in, and indulge yourself in impurity, you quickly realize it didn't really fix it. It didn't really fulfill me. It didn't really meet my needs, so I guess I'll try more. And more and more and more. And that lust for more just drives us deeper and deeper and farther away from God. But notice where it all started. It begins in the mind. It didn't begin with bad behavior. It began in the mind. Remember last week, with Pastor Rick, we looked at spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God. Where does spiritual warfare take place? In the mind. This bad behavior began in the mind. Look at all the words in verses 17, 18, and 19 that indicate this is a mind issue. Futility of thinking, that's in the mind. Darkened understanding, that's your mind. Ignorance, that's your mind. Hardening of your hearts. Now you think, oh, that's my heart, not my mind. No, it's talking about your mind. Our hearts can't actually think. It's just a, an expression. And then lust, a constant lust or greed for more. Where does that happen? In your mind. And once it is conceived in the mind, the result is disobedience. Disobedience to the way of life that God wants for you. And every kind of impurity follows. This is not the way of obedience, but disobedience. Paul insists, that's why Paul insists that followers of Christ should no longer live like this. Why? you think it would be obvious, right? Hey, yeah, I was, I was a sinner, now I'm saved by grace. Hallelujah. Why did Paul have to remind them? He had to remind them because believers have a choice about how they live. Before salvation, there is no choice. You may disagree with me on that, but hear me out. Before you are saved, you have no choice but to sin. You may, you may have choice about what kind of car you buy or where you work, that kind of, but 
In terms of your morality and your behavior, you have no choice before Jesus enters into you. You have no choice but to sin. But once God saves you, now you have a choice. Are you going to obey or are you going to disobey? Because now you know. Through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you know now what is right and what is wrong. You're living in the light, not in darkness. You can now see, but you still have a choice. That's why Paul has to remind the believers to no longer live in the futile thinking of the unbeliever. Instead, he carries on. Verse 20. That, that old way of life, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The way of Christ is different. That's not the way of life you learn. The way of Christ is different. Christians are to have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we... Speaking about Christians, believers, we have the mind of Christ. Christians have learned a new way of life. Look at what it says. It says, you heard about Christ. You were taught in Christ by the truth that is Christ. The way of Christ is different. I love the way the NASB translates that, verse 20. It says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. It's not about learning about Christ. It's not about learning interesting facts about Jesus. No, it's about learning Christ, learning Jesus, plain and simple. It's about this union with Him through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We become Christ-like as we submit to the Holy Spirit working in us. We learn Christ. What an amazing concept. We don't just learn about Him. We learn Him personally. He carries on in verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to made, be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to, be put, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice he says it didn't just happen. You were taught. That's the mind. That's learning. You were taught to put off your old self. Discipleship involves teaching. It doesn't just happen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You've probably memorized them many times, right? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And what? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Discipleship involves teaching. When we disciple others, we need to teach them. But remember, we are all disciples. We need to be taught. And what are we taught? 
It says you were taught to put off and put on. Put off the old self. Corrupted by deceitful desires. All that stuff we talked about in the first three verses. Lack of truth. Living in darkness. No fulfillment. It's downward spiral. Put that off. Get rid of it. And put on the new self. Which, get this, the new self is like God. Righteous and holy. It's exactly the opposite of the old self. Put on godliness. It's a complete change in identity. It's the process of sanctification. Being set apart by God. Being made holy by a holy God. If the old self is a downward spiral, the new self is an upward spiral. Growing closer and closer and closer to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's this putting off of the old self and putting on the new self is what's pictured in baptism. Right? We talked about baptism a few weeks ago. Remember? 29 people baptized. Amazing day. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. We talked about baptism. That's what baptism is. Right? As we go down under the water, it symbolizes being buried with Him in baptism. Buried to the old self. Burying the old self in baptism. And then we come up out of the water. We are risen... It's the resurrection of the new self made new in Christ Jesus. So we put off the old and we're to put on the new. But how do we do that? How does this transformation take place? Because it's easy to say. It's easy. Just put this off, put this on. You can all go home. It starts in the mind. Notice verse 23. Before it says put on the new, it says be made new in the attitude of your minds. Just as the old corrupt way of living started in the mind, the new way of life in Christ begins with the renewing of the mind, a new attitude of the mind. Remember Romans 12, verse 2? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Sounds familiar? But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And then what? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We can't put off the old and put on the new without the renewing of the mind. Well, Paul continues and he talks now about how we should live now with this new mind. What does this look like? How then shall we live? He gives specific examples. Look at them starting in verse 25. Therefore, because you've put on the new self, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Put off all dishonesty. Put off falsehood and put on truth speaking. Alright, you see how the Bible all ties together. Remember last week? Armor of God. The belt of truth. We have to put on truth. Why is this important? 
There's always, you'll notice in almost every one of these verses, there's a put off and a put on and then there's a motivation. Why? So we put off falsehood, we put on truth speaking. Why? Because we are all one body. A body can't function if it lies to itself. Right? I, I mean, I couldn't be up here speaking if my brain wasn't telling my lips and my tongue and everything to say the right words. And I couldn't walk around if my brain was sending the wrong messages to the wrong muscles. It, it would, we, the body cannot function unless it is in working in harmony and telling, telling itself the truth. It's the same with the body of Christ. That's who we are, isn't it? As believers, each and every one of us belongs to the body of Christ. We need to work together for the glory of God. We can't do that if we're lying to each other. We'll just get all confused and we'll, we'll be stumbling around not able to function. The body cannot function if it's lying to itself. What does he say next? Verse 26. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So what are we putting off? Anger that leads to sin. Or sin that is caused by anger. He's not saying that all anger is sin, although you'll see later on probably most of it is. There is such thing as a righteous anger if it's unselfish and loving. Most of us have a hard time being loving in our anger, but it is possible. So the Apostle Paul says here, put off sin caused by anger and instead put on the practice of keeping short accounts. That's how we deal with anger appropriately. That's how we make sure anger doesn't cause us to sin. Keep short accounts. Don't let, don't let anger linger and build up inside you. It just it turns into resentment. and turns, All sorts of sin can happen because this anger just grows and grows and grows inside of us. Put it off. Get rid of it. I mean, we tell married couples all the time, right? Don't go to bed angry. It's good advice. But it's not just for married couples. It's for every one of us in the body of Christ. Don't let your anger fester. Keep short accounts with people. Get rid of it. Why? Remember, there's always a motivation. It says, and do not give the devil a foothold. If we hold on to anger, if we let it linger in us and that anger turns into sin, it gives the devil an inroad into our lives. It's a way for him to get at us and cause us to sin even more. And we don't want that. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Fairly easy one, right? Put off stealing, put on good old-fashioned hard work. Put off and put on. Did you know that the solution to stealing was to work? I mean, we could say, well, God will provide, but God provides often by giving us work to do. Work hard so you don't have to steal. Why? What's the motivation? So you have the ability to provide for yourself and your family. And it even says for others that are in need. That's why we work. That's why we put off stealing and put on work so that we can bless others. 
who are in need. Verse 29, he carries on, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Put off unwholesome talk, rotten, foul, destructive talk. And put on the opposite, helpful talk, constructive talk, encouraging, uplifting talk. And why? What's our motivation? Because it's a benefit. It builds up those who listen. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This isn't a put off and put on, but it kind of sums up our motivation for obedience, doesn't it? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You might think, oh, what's the big deal? He's God. He can take it. The Holy Spirit lives inside the believer and is the guarantor of our salvation, of our redemption. He's a part of who we are. He lives inside of us. Why would, why would we want to grieve that person. That's, that's grieving the very person who gives us life, eternal life. I mean, if that's not motivation for obedience, I, I don't know what else there is. I mean, I know a lot of us work really hard at trying to keep our parents happy. We don't want to grieve our parents because we don't want to let them down. And yeah, your mother gave you life. I get it. But the Holy Spirit gives you eternal life in Jesus. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 gives us a whole list of stuff to get rid of. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Covers pretty much everything there. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So there's more putting off and putting on. Get rid of, put off bitterness. What is bitterness? Well, that, that smoldering resentment that grows inside of you as you hold on to that person that hurt me that one time 20 years ago. I'm never going to forget it. That's bitterness. Get rid of it. That's the old self. Put it away. Rage. I think we know what rage is. That passionate anger that just explodes in us sometimes. It's the old self. Put it off. Anger. We talked about anger. We all know what anger is. That internal deep hostility that we hold. We hold on to. Get rid of it. Brawling. Now there's a word we don't use every day. What's brawling? You know that word brawling could actually be translated shouting. You know when you get so worked up about something you just, and you're arguing with someone, you, guys, you just start shouting. You're shouting. You're not hitting each other, but you're shouting at each other because you're just so upset. I have a problem with that one. I have to apologize to my kids all the time. 
especially when they were younger. Ah, oh, sorry, I got, sorry I yelled. You ever yell at your kids? Oh, I hate it. Put it off. Don't yell. Slander. We have a very narrow definition of slander in our day and age because we think of it as a legal term, but slander is speaking evil about anyone. Just don't do it. Get rid of it. Put it off. Don't slander people. Don't talk badly about anyone. And then he, he wraps it all up by saying all forms of malice. Well, malice is just evil. That's everything. Everything that's wrong, everything that's disobedient, everything that's bad, it all comes from malice. So put it off. And what, what does he say to put on? Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That's the answer to all those other things. Like, yeah, but I just can't help it. I get so angry. Be kind. Put on kindness. Yeah, but I just I get, I get worked up and I start yelling at my kids. Be compassionate. You ever try to yell when you're being compassionate? It's pretty hard to do. Forgiveness. Forgive that person that hurt you. 20 years ago. And you're holding on to that bitterness. Get rid of it. Put on forgiveness. And why? Remember I said there's always motivation. This is the greatest motivation there is. Because Christ forgave you. Because you are forgiven. We don't have time to look at it right now, but Matthew 18, read the chapter. It's all about how we who have been forgiven so much should have no problem forgiving others. Christ is our model of forgiveness. So it's quite a list of put-offs and put-on. But that's how we obey God. Put off the old self, corrupted by deceitful desire. And you put on the new self. You, he's asking you to be, to put on that, all that new stuff, all that good stuff. But, but it's got to start. Remember we said it's got to start by being made new in the attitude of your mind. That's how we begin to obey. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. You see, here's the challenge. If we try and obey without a new mind, have you ever tried to do that? Say, hey, I can do it. Just give me a list. A list of do's and don'ts. I'll, I'll do the things I do. I won't, I'll do the things I don't. Obedience without a new mind just leads to legalism. Leads to legalism and then failure because we can't do it. We may try. We think we can because we think we, we know everything. But we fail and then we get frustrated. So we try harder. We double down. Oh, I can do it. I just got to try harder and I got to. I, I gotta... No, you can't. In our own strength, we cannot obey. We need a new attitude of our mind. Otherwise, it's just legalism. 
It's just trying to obey the rules. We can't do it by the power of the old self. That's why we got to put the old self off. Get rid of it. And allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. To teach you to know Christ. That's what we need. We need to be more like Christ. If we want to put on the new self, well, think about it. People say this all the time. Well, well, yeah, it was easy for Jesus. He was, he was God. He's perfect. So why wouldn't we want to be more like that? The more we are like Christ, the easier obedience is. But this new attitude in the mind, this renewal of the mind, how does that work? How, how do we get that? How, how does that occur? I mean, obviously we can't do it for ourselves or we would have done it already. It's got to happen by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in us, but, but we can resist the Holy Spirit, right? You all, you've all resisted the Holy Spirit at some point in life, right? Okay, I have. I'll admit it. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and change our mind and give us a new mind. There are some practical things we can do, though. They're called spiritual disciplines. Fancy word for a bunch of stuff we can do to get closer to God. What are they? Well, there's two things. Some of them we do by ourselves. Some of them we do corporately with the, with the church. But there are things like prayer. Right? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Maybe try fasting if you're looking for answers from God. Spend time with God's people. Fellowship. Worship. You know, serve. Serve in the local church. Join a DC. If you're looking at me going, I don't know what a DC is. Well, then you need to join one. <laughs> DC is a discipling community. We have them every Sunday night here. We get together in small groups. And we talk about God's Word and we grow closer to God. But these spiritual disciplines are important. I mean, think about prayer. We want the mind of Christ. We want to become more like Christ. We want to know Christ better. How would you do that if it was a person? You'd talk to them. Right? You want to get to know your wife better? You'd talk to your wife or your husband. That's what, that's what I do. If I didn't talk to my wife, I wouldn't know her at all. And yet we, we think, well, how, I, don't, I don't know God. Well, do you talk to him? That's what prayer is. Talk to God. Talk to him about your stuff. <laughs> talk to him about everything. Communicate with him. He wants a relationship with you. And then you need the Bible because that's how God talks to you. Yeah, okay, I know a couple people that have claimed that God spoke to them with an audible voice and I don't, God can do that obviously, but he doesn't usually. He does sometimes. But most of the time, he uses this. This is the Word of God because that's how He talks to us. That's why we call it the Word. It's because God's speaking to us. 
I mean, most of the time, you know how God talks to me when I'm praying? I'll be praying about something, and I'll be quiet, and then he reminds me of something from his word. He reminds me of a verse or a passage, and then I'll, I'll go look it up, and I'll read it more, and I'll, that's, that's how it works. Spiritual disciplines. We need, we need to engage in those in order to allow the Holy Spirit to change our minds. And that's what will put us on that upward spiral, fueled by the Holy Spirit, right? Because here's how it works. Just like the downward spiral, it just gets, it gets worse and worse, and as it gets worse, it makes it worse. And, but here, it gets better and better, right? We submit to the Holy Spirit, and that means we pray more, and we spend more time in His Word, and then that causes us to submit more to the Holy Spirit, and the, and the Holy Spirit works in us, and, and it just gets better and better. We get closer and closer and closer to God. That's where we want to be. And when we renew our mind, when we have a new mind, a change of mind, we can put on the new self. And we can start to obey. We can put on the new self. We, you see, it's not enough to put off the old self and just say, okay, I got rid of all that bad stuff. Hallelujah. I'm good. No, because now you're empty. You got nothing. If you don't put on the new self pretty quick, that old self's going to start to sneak its way back into your life. Because you know, nature doesn't like a void. You can't have no behavior. <laughs> you, you have to behave some way. It's got to be good or bad. You can't just kind of be like nothing. So you put off the old self, yes, but then as your mind's renewed, you have to put on the new. Replace the old with something new, with something good. Get rid of the bad, but put on something good. You need it to fill you up. Otherwise, the old is just going to sneak its way back in and pull you back down. So put on the new self. Created to be like God. Remember that last verse, verse 32? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're putting on. The new self. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you speak to us. You instruct us. You teach us to be more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room today, Lord, that you would do a work in us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, change our minds. Give us a new attitude. A new attitude towards ourselves. A new attitude towards others, a new attitude towards you, Lord God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can put off the old and put on the new. Do a great work in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be thou my vision. Don't you wish you could see things the way Jesus sees them? That's what that's saying, right? Lord, be my vision for me so that I see things the way you see them. That's the mind of Christ. Remember the question I posed at the beginning of my talk today? What does it take to move us from disobedience to obedience? It takes a new attitude of the mind.
As Christians, we need to invite God through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to change our minds. To give us a new mind. To give us the mind of Christ. Can you imagine what our church would be like if we all had the mind of Christ Jesus? I mean... Seriously, think about it. We, w- we wouldn't have to worry about obedience because we would just, we would be obedience. That's the mind of Christ. Obedience to the things of God would, would be so natural. It would just be who we are. Wow. Can you imagine? It's not just some far off, wow, I wish we could be like that. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We just hold him at arm's length sometimes. We need to let him just be everything for us, everything we need. We need to see the world as Jesus sees the world. We need hearts that reflect the heart of God. We cannot walk in obedience in our own human strength. We'll fail every time. We must allow God to renew our mind. So we will know, remember, God's will. What God's will is. That's what obedience is. Knowing God's will. His good and pleasing and perfect will. When we have that mind, then we can walk in obedience. There will be pastors at the front after the service and in the connections room as well, out in the foyer. If you have any questions, you want to talk, please don't leave here with questions. Come talk to us. We'd love to answer your questions. Hope to see you tonight at DC Groups. If you're not in one, come. We'll put you in one. We would love to see you back again tonight. Have a great day.